So I'm honored to be here today. Uh, it really is a joy to be here. Uh, I wanted to get you guys involved a little bit. Today is Palm Sunday, uh, and so we're going to have some fun today as we talk about worship. So uh, the first thing I want you to do uh, to engage you a little bit, I want you to put your palms up because it is Palm Sunday, like you're trying to receive something. So everybody, uh, I know just it's a, not a gimmick. Just go ahead and do it. I'm not going to pull a, a trick on you. Go ahead and pull your hands up like this, everybody. I'm not everybody's doing it, so we're going to stay here until, no, just show Okay, so that now, now I want you to kind of raise them up like you're getting robbed. Like, whoa, palms up. Whoa, whoa. Everybody, that's pretty cool that you guys are doing what I'm telling you to do. And then um, I want you to do one more thing. Like, let's say you've got half of your uh, NCAA tournament bracket still together. And so let, let's see this. Like, boom. Like, look at this. Uh, amazing. Okay, you can put your hands down. Uh, congratulations. You just walked through the progression of worship at some churches. So some churches, like, I don't know where you were raised, like, if you got, like, started doing this during a prayer song or during a prayer song, that would be really weird, uh, a song, a worship song, if you did this, like, that's acceptable. Or maybe you were growing up in a church where if you did this, like, you started getting some looks, and then maybe some of you were in a church where, like, if you did this, you would either be promoted to the prayer ministry team, or you would actually have a meeting with a pastor the next week to say, hey, we don't do this in this church. Right? And anybody else been there? My, my wife was raised in a church where they weren't allowed to clap. No clapping. Uh, no jeans on Sunday. Sunday night you could wear jeans, but not in the morning. So, so today I want us to look at, at worship. And I'm so thankful that we are at a church, Bayou City Fellowship, where you can come in. And if you don't know Jesus, you can stand there and you can sing. But also you can do the airplane. And you can praise God the way that you want to worship God. And both are allowed here. It, it's a joy. For me, because what we see is whether I'm doing the airplane or whether I've got my hands up or whether I'm standing there and there's a carnival going on inside of my chest. Either way, it's a response to who God is, what you know about God. And that's really what worship is. It's our response to God. And so today what I want to look at is what is worship? And then I want us to look at the story of Palm Sunday when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, with the lens of what kind of worship was going on during that time. And so I emailed, uh, because I'm not the, the smartest guy in the world and I haven't been a pastor very long, I emailed and texted some of our staff, some of the teachers and some of the worship leaders, and I asked them, uh, what is worship in your own words? And so I thought I would just share with you some of the staff and some other friends of mine what they said. Uh, the first response said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, meaning that all I say, think, and do is consumed with and points back to the person of Jesus Christ. The second one said, our response to all that God is, with all that we are, for all he has done, that's worship. Another one that I thought was a little deeper, so you have to listen a little harder. Worship is communion with God in which believers, by grace, center their hearts' affections and their minds' attention on the Lord. Humbly glorified in God in response to his greatness and worth. And that's, that's deep. Another one says, worship is our response to God both privately and corporately for who he is and what he has done. It is, it is demonstrated by our words and the way that we live. And, and this one I, I thought was interesting and maybe make you think a little bit as well. So I asked what was worship and the response was living in loving union with the Trinity in everyday life. Just think about that. Living in loving communion with the Trinity in everyday life. And the last one here I'll read, the 
person responded, worship is a response, be it spiritual, emotional, or physical, in which we ascribe the greatest worth to something. It's a beautiful piece, but, but today I also want us to say, what's the scripture say about worship? And so there's one text, and you don't have to turn there, it's going to be on the screen, Romans 12, where Paul is writing and he's giving some verbiage around what is worship, and he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, so is worship singing? Yeah, yeah, but that's not all worship is because what we see from Paul has said here is that every act, every thought is an opportunity for us to worship the king. And so what what worship is in, in, in my understanding is worship begins with awareness of God. It ends with obedience to God. Worship is an awareness of who God is. What is he saying right now? And then it moves from this awareness of God. Oh, wow, you are God. And in this moment, I'm aware of you. And then it moves to I'm going to obey in those moments. Whether that's in my thoughts, my attitude, my actions. So every moment in your life is an opportunity to worship the king. It's not just us singing, us clapping, which all those are worship, but it's when you go to work. It's when you parent your children. It's when you're serving others. It's, it's what you're setting your mind to. All of these are opportunities to worship. And we have to ask the question, why is that so important? Derek, why are we going to spend an entire 30, 40, 50 minutes today talking about that? Not when we 50 minutes. But why is it important? John Piper, he, he wrote this book called Let the Nations Be Glad. It, it's a phenomenal book, and this is just one little section out of it. Because the, Bush and to, the, the book talks about missions and worship, and he says this, this is so profound. It says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Think about that a second. Missions exist Because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When the age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their face before the throne of God, missions will be no more. You see, why is worship important? Because worship is forever. It's what we're going to be doing forever. It's what is happening right now in the throne of God, in front of God. Worship is happening. It is forever. It's going on for eternity. I listened to a sermon a few weeks ago, and the pastor said this. He said, worship is not a means to an end. It is the end. Worship is what is going on now and will go on for eternity in the presence of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, worship is your eternal destiny. And each day on this side of eternity, we have the opportunity to engage in what is going on in heaven right now. That's worship of the king. So worship, it's important because it's going to go on forever. Another reason is worship is important is because we actually become like what we worship. 
When, when we put our, our minds and our priority on something, whether that's God or something else, we will tend to put our money, our time, our thoughts, our dreams, our ambition, our energy toward it. And as we do that, we actually become more and more what we are setting our gaze and worship upon. And so if, if you worship money today, and maybe you say, I don't have a dollar bill on a statue, like I don't do that, but, but, but do you lift up security and finance above other things is that what consumes your mind is that what comes to mind first when i think about what i need to save and what do i need to do because if i prioritize money as my object of my worship what's going to happen is i'm going to become more and more greedy i'm going to become more of what i am setting my gaze on or maybe you say i just want to be successful in life and so that comes above everything else in life is how can i be successful and so some of us the season I was there, I became a workaholic. Everything I did, everything I thought about, every decision I made was how can I get to the pinnacle of success in my career, in the community? What's that look like? Or if we put God as the object of worship and we set our affections on him, he is our priority, what happens is the same as we actually become more like God. And so worship is important because we actually become like what we worship. And the fact is that you were created to worship. God made you a worshiper. So the question is, are you or are you not a worshiper? That's not the question. The question is, what are you worshiping today? Because every single one of us is worshiping something, someone in this room, because that's how you're created. That's in your DNA. That's how God made you. And so if you're not worshiping God, I guarantee you're worshiping something else. And you could say, man, I don't know what that would be. And I would say, ask the question, where do you spend your thoughts, your time, your money, your resources, your hope, your trust, your security? If you take a step back and you say, what does all of that go to? What's my priority in life? Likely that's what you're worshiping. So it's not if I'm worshiping, but what am I worshiping? And so today I thought we would look at the story of Palm Sunday to learn a little bit about what it looks like to worship. So if you have your Bible, flip over to John chapter 12. And, and I thought we'd actually give a little bit more context today uh, to Palm Sunday by starting the night before Palm Sunday. Because sometimes we forget about that. And so today I want to start the night before when Jesus entered Jerusalem. So we're going to be in chapter 12. Let me read the first three verses for you. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, when Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, now the reason I wanted to start here is because immediately we see there is worship going on in the presence of Jesus. We see both Martha and Mary, they are worshiping the God they knew that raised their brother Lazarus from the dead. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Savior. And so they were responding to that understanding in very specific ways. And one thing I want to take away from is your worship is going to look different than my worship. It's very specific to how God has revealed himself to you and then how he has wired you to respond. And so we see Martha, what does Martha do? Martha serves Jesus and serves the others. 
That's how God wired her, to serve others. And so she recognizes Jesus is present. He is God. And so her response is, I'm going to worship him. That is her worship. She serves. But then we see something completely different. We see Mary. God wired Mary a little different. You see, she sees Jesus also as the Savior, as the Messiah, as the one who raised her brother. She knows who Jesus is, and her response is, I'm going to take something of great value, and I'm going to waste it all on Jesus. And so you got to ask the question, is one better than the other? To serve or to pour out something of great worth upon Jesus, which one is better? And I would say neither one of them. See, worship is going to look different from person to person. And I'll tell you what, worship is actually going to look different from day to day for you if you're really walking with the Lord. Because remember, it begins with awareness. So today, God has called me as a pastor to preach the word of God. This is my act of worship today. Tomorrow, that's not my act of worship. I'm going to ask God, God, what would you have for me when I'm meeting with this person? What are you saying? When I wake up and I love on my kids, what are you saying? How does it look? And so all those times, am I being aware of God and then am I going to obey him? That is worship. So it depends on the person. It also depends on the day. Today and tomorrow may look completely different to you. See, it forces us to depend on God in the moment like we talked about last week. What is he saying? Am I going to respond? Am I going to align with him? And so then we get on to the verse 4, I believe. It says here, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who he was about to betray Jesus, said, why was the ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, now this is interesting because I want you guys to note this. Extravagant God worship often offends non-worshippers. Think about this again. Extravagant worship, both serving and pouring out something of great value, that worship will offend non-worshippers. And so Judas, he sees this picture and he's like, why in the world would you do this for Jesus? Now he had another motive. His motive was that he wanted that money to be in the treasury so he could steal it. But what I want us to point out here is that when you worship fully, you can count on having detractors. You can count on having people criticize you. And I believe that our life should cause people to question our extravagance towards Jesus. They should say, Jesus is really that much to you? Or or maybe he's not. And and I don't want us to live a lie that we sing one thing, yet we live out another thing because we really don't believe it. And yet we leave feeling good about ourselves. What we know is that when we are fully worshiping God, there are going to come people that don't like it. They're going to criticize. And we see this throughout the scriptures, both David. Remember David? He was dancing in his underwear in front of a bunch of people, and his wife said, hey, simmer down. And he says, no, you don't understand who God is and what I know about God. And so he danced anyway. He worshiped. Criticism came. Noah, when he was out in the middle of not a floodplain, God said, hey, go build a big ark. He began, he's like, okay, I don't understand, but I'm going to do what God says because I'm aware of God, and I'm going to worship him by obeying him. And so he began to put this big, massive boat together, looking like an idiot to most people. And people made fun of him, they criticized him, and they probably ostracized him from the community. Yet yet Noah worshipped. 
And, and think about John the Baptist, the guy that was the forerunner to Jesus. He went out in the desert, wore camel skin, ate bugs and honey, proclaimed that the kingdom was God. Repent. He took a lot of slack. He had the criticizers from the peanut gallery yelling at him, calling him out. And he was ostracized from the religious community. Listen, I guarantee you as a promise, when you worship God, there will be other people that try to cut you down. That question, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Why would you give that much honor, that much praise, that much worship to Jesus? Why would you do it? And I want to caution some of us in the room, because I've been there, uh, that when we start criticizing other people's worship, we're really on slippery slopes. Now, I'm going to confess to you, uh, a few years ago, I would probably look at somebody that was raising their hand, let alone doing the airplane or jumping around, and I would say, well, what are they, who do they think they are? Like, can you believe that they would do that? Like, they look so stupid. Like, have you ever done that? Are, are you maybe the one that's criticizing somebody else's worship? And maybe, maybe you look at somebody's decision to change careers or, or they, they said, I'm going to move from, from this state to this state, as I know some of you in the room have done, where you felt like God was leading you. Have you ever been the person to say, man, that was a dumb decision? Like, why would they walk away from all of that to follow Jesus? We, we've got to be careful that we're not the ones criticizing. I, I want to be the one that people are criticizing because I love Jesus and I worship him like crazy. And so if you're criticizing of other people's worship, you should really check yourself and say, man, what is it about that that drives me crazy? Because maybe the answer is you're not worshiping God yourself. And then we go on to the next day. And so they have this party for Jesus because he raised Lazarus. The next day is where we see Jesus come in that we read from Matthew and we're going to read here from John. Where Jesus comes into Jerusalem on his triumphal entry, verse 12, chapter 12 of John. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus had, uh, was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, the king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. And so the picture that we've got, just imagine this. Jesus is about a mile from Jerusalem. That's where Beth Page is. And so it's about a mile journey to Jerusalem. And so this crowd had gathered at the house of Lazarus to throw this party because they just wanted to see, did Lazarus really raise up from the dead? And if he did, I want to see the person that did that. And so they went to the feast in order to see Jesus and to see Lazarus because they were really interested, as you and I would be too. And so they, they leave that that night, they go and get a good night's sleep, and then the next day they hear that Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. And so that big, massive crowd of people, they go and they meet Jesus on his way. And it says that they take palm branches and they lay down in front of Jesus. Other scriptures say that they took off their outer garments and they put down in front of the donkeys so that the donkey that Jesus was riding on could ride on top of these things. And this was an act of honor. This was something that you would only do for a king. And they cry out, Hosanna, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These are all acts of honor for a king. And so we see the, the crowd, they are worshiping Jesus. Now flip over to, to Luke. We're going to see what the Pharisees are doing at this time. So this is another in, uh, view of, of what was going on on the same day, the triumphal entry. They are praising God. The people are. And then in verse 39 of chapter 19, it says this. This is what the Pharisees were doing. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. So what did did we say a little bit ago? When uh, worshipers are really worshiping, non-worshipers are going to get offended. And what happened to the Pharisees? They were really, really offended that these people were honoring Jesus that way. And so they said, Jesus, tell your disciples disciples, to simmer down, to stop saying that you are king, that you are Lord. Stop them from saying Hosanna, from honoring you this way. And so we see the Pharisees, they're all bound up and frustrated, and they don't know what to do. And then turn over to Matthew 21 if you can. I'm going to have it on the screen as well. And so we have the crowd who is saying, God, you or Jesus, you are the king. We're praising you. We're going to honor you. We've got the Pharisees saying, Jesus, tell your disciples to shut up. And then in verse 10 of chapter 21 in Matthew, we see what the rest of the people are doing in, in Jerusalem. It says, when he, Jesus, entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Who is this? This is a very important question because the answer to who is Jesus, it dictates our worship. And also the inverse is true is is if I want to know your thoughts of Jesus, I can just look at your worship. Because what I believe about Jesus, what I know about Jesus is going to play out in how I worship Jesus. And so today I ask you, What does your worship say about your answer to this? Who is Jesus? What what does your worship say about that? Like, do you have a little Jesus that you can fit in your pocket? Or do you have the creator of this earth that holds everything together? See, our worship is tied to this question, who is Jesus? And, And so what I thought we would do is we would look at these three types of worship that we see here and, and how each group, the Pharisee, the crowd, and Jesus, how they would answer this question, who is Jesus? And so if we look at the Pharisees first, what I would say about their worship is they worship anything but Jesus. That's, that's the first form of worship today. You could worship anything but Jesus, and that puts you in this category, this type of worship, because we know that the Pharisees, they did not see Jesus as worth worshiping. When we ask the question, how did the Pharisees and the religious leaders, how did they answer the question, who is Jesus? They would have said that he was a liar, that he was fake, that he was a rule breaker, that he was the one that was threatening their religious system. Because of that view of Jesus, they had zero worship of Jesus. And instead of that, they worshiped their system, they worshiped their religion, and they most of all worshiped the status they had in society. See, they worshiped anything other than Jesus. They worship their own self and their knowledge about the law and how they adhered to it. And Jesus addressed them one time. He said, you honor me with their lips, but your heart is far from me. In vain do you worship me. 
So Jesus was saying to them in Matthew 15 from the Old Testament that, that you guys are missing out. Like you put on this show that you worship God, but yet you are far from him. You have the appearance of worshiping God, but you're really worshiping yourself. And that's vanity. You're worshiping anything but Jesus. And, and maybe today that describes you. Maybe you have the appearance of worship, but the affections of your heart and the priority of your life is something other than Jesus. And so today, you need to ask the question, who is Jesus? Who do you say he is? Because that will flow into your worship and vice versa. The next group is is the crowd, and this is an interesting one. And and I think one that we sometimes take one way or the other, the crowd, uh, their worship is, I will worship Jesus if. I will worship if. And this was a big if because the crowd, when they were gathering around Jesus, when he was walking in and they were honoring him, they were worshiping Jesus because they thought that he was going to be the king that overtook Rome, that set up the new government that placed them in positions of honor. So they say, I'm going to worship Jesus as long as he meets my expectations. This is the kind of worship that we see from the crowd. That they thought that Jesus was going to come in and he was going to be exactly what they wanted. That he was going to set up the new government. He was going to have a violent upheaval against Rome. And he was going to take back authority. So they would say, I will worship Jesus if my expectations are met. Because what we see, these, this crowd, as they gathered around Jesus, they were saying, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who came in the name of the Lord. Yet less than a week later, some of them would have been standing and watching Jesus on trial. Watching Jesus bloodied and beat up. Watching Jesus be silent when they was asked questions. And their expectations would have gone down the toilet or the hole, whatever they had at the time. And so in that moment, these expectations they had of Jesus, they they would have gone out the window. And and they would have said, instead of Hosanna, oh, less than a week later, they would have said, crucify him. Hosanna, Palm Sunday. Less than a week later, crucify him, worship, kill him. Because their expectations were not met. We've got to be careful that this is not the kind of worship that we have because we can easily turn from, I'm going to worship Jesus as long as everything's good for me, as long as I have a job, as long as everybody's healthy, as long as I've got good money in the bank, I will worship Jesus. But that moment that something bad happens in your life, if you close down shop and say, hey, crucify him, I'm going to find another way to find security, then maybe you're more like the crowd than you realize. Because what I know about worship, it is it is. Uh, best filtered out, whether I have surface worship or genuine worship, is in the midst of trial and tribulation. Who we believe Jesus to be is best demonstrated in the face of adversity, trials, and unmet expectations. In these moments, we find out who or what we really worship. So I ask you today, is your worship dependent upon your expectations or favorable outcomes? If so... Your view and understanding of Jesus may be distorted just like the crowd that followed Jesus. And the last group that we see here or the last kind of worship is I'm going to worship even if. Even if. 
See, this kind of worship, it's not dependent upon my expectations being met. It's not dependent upon the circumstances being favorable for Derek. It says, even if my expectations go unmet, I will worship even if, fill in the blank. This is the kind of worship that we're called to. This is the kind of worship we see those that loved God throughout the Old Testament. I remember we talked about Abraham and Isaac last week. Remember that, anybody? That's a few people were awake. That's good. Um, and so we talked about them in, in, in Genesis chapter 22. Now, it's interesting. The first translation in most Bibles to the word worship in the Hebrew is actually in the context of the story of Abraham and Isaac. So the first time the word worship shows up probably in your translation is in the middle of where God says, go and sacrifice your firstborn, your only son. And Abraham tells his guys, hey, hey, guys, you guys stay here. I'm going to take my son, Isaac, and we're going to go up in the mountain and we're going to worship. Now remember, he was going up to kill his son because God had told him to. Yet he said, we're going to go and we're going to go and worship very interesting. You see, Abraham had the faith. Abraham had a worship that says, even if I've got to do something I don't understand, even if God is calling me out in the realms of faith, I will worship. Even if. Another story that you're probably familiar with, whether you've been in church at all or your whole life, is the story of Job. Job arguably had the worst few days uh, of any human being. Uh, he lost all his livestock. He lost his house. All these bad things were happening. And then all 10 of his kids are killed in a moment. And you can imagine what kind of day that was for Job. But in the midst of all of that, in verse 20 of Job, we find something very interesting. So all of these bad things have happened. In one day, he had lost his kids. He had lost his livestock. He had lost his means of providing for his family. And in verse 20 of chapter 1, it says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. If that doesn't challenge you, I don't know what will. That challenges me. And he goes on to say, And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked will I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of of the Lord. Now, what stood out to me is this last bit. It says, blessed be the name of the Lord. How, how similar is that to what was said on Palm Sunday? Blessed be the name of the Lord, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Very similar thing. So we see here in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the tribulation, it says that Job, he bowed down and he worshiped, even if. See, Job didn't worship because things were all hunky-dory, he didn't worship because he wasn't in pain. He didn't worship because he didn't love his family. He worshiped because he trusted God. Now, this is challenging for me, but it also encourages me because Job was a normal guy like you and me. Yet, when he lost everything, he still said, I will worship God because I trust him. And what we see in the triumphal entry of Jesus on Palm Sunday is we see Jesus, who is our Savior, who came to save us, but he also came to give us an example, a perfect example of what it looks like to follow God. And what we know about Jesus is he knew what was on the other side of his ride into Jerusalem, that he knew that what was waiting for him was death by way of a cross, that he knew he would be spit on, he would be punched, he would have a crown of thorns. He knew on the other side of this ride was terror was pain, was anguish. Yet he worshiped God. Jesus worshiped the Father, even if. 
I think it's a powerful picture for us. This even if worship, that Jesus knew what was coming, yet he still got on the donkey and rode. It's a beautiful expression of worship and a powerful example to us of what it looks like to really worship God. Because true worship says, I will worship God even if it costs me. Even if my expectations aren't met, even if I don't understand, I will worship God and not my circumstance. Listen, I don't have this all figured out. This is not me preaching down to you at all. I struggle with this myself. So if you're sitting there and saying, Derek, I don't understand, I don't understand. how could this be? I'm with you sometimes. I've been there. But what we see in Scripture consistently in the life of Jesus is that we are to worship even if. And so I ask you today, what worship would you most relate to? That of the Pharisees that say, I'm going to worship anyone or anything but Jesus. Or maybe you're like the crowd and say, I worship when everything's good, but the first time something bad happens, my worship goes out the window. Or maybe you're like Jesus. I said, I'm going to worship even if it costs me. So I want to go back to this last question as we close here today. The question is, who is Jesus? As we come to Easter, I think this is a question that we all have to wrestle with because the answer to this question changes everything. If I think Jesus is just a figure of imagination, if I think he's just a crutch for some people that need a crutch, if I think Jesus is just a prophet or a good teacher, uh, I'm going to worship in such a way that reflects that thinking. So either I'm not going to worship Jesus at all, I'm going to worship my success, I'm going to worship my bank account, I'm going to worship sex, I'm going to worship whatever that is. Or if I believe maybe I should, maybe just to have that uh, fire insurance from hell, I, I should maybe just, maybe believe that he was a good guy and, and maybe God, but, but that was 2,000 years ago and not today. And so my worship will reflect that. Or if our answer to who is Jesus is that he is the creator of all. That he spoke the world into existence, that he came to seek and to save the lost, that he came to reveal the Father, that he came to have victory over sin and death, that he is the ultimate provider, that he is the great physician, that he really is the one that holds all of this together. If I believe that, then my worship is going to match that and it's going to be extravagant. So as we head into Easter, I want us to really think about this question this week. Who is Jesus? And if you say, I, I don't know, Derek, maybe he's this, maybe he's that, I want to challenge you two things. Number one is actually pray. Even if you don't believe in prayer, try it and ask God, who is Jesus? Will you teach me? Will you show me? Will you reveal who is Jesus? And the second thing I want you to do is, if you want for challenges, is that you would actually do the devotional that we're going to put online. Because what it's going to do for you, it's going to give you some framework of Scripture, and it's going to give you a sense of who is Jesus. Who did Jesus say was, why did he die on the cross, and why did he raise? And so that's my question for you today. Who is Jesus? Because it will impact not only your worship today, but if you will be worshiping forever. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that um, you say that those that draw near to you, that you draw near to them. 
I thank you that your word says that those who seek will find. I thank you that uh, even the Pharisees, that some of them turned to you later. That you didn't forget them, that you didn't give them the stiff arm, but you said, hey, come here. That on the way to the cross that you said, Lord, forgive them for they not, do not know what they are doing. That even the crowd at Pentecost, some of them were turned to you. Some of them recognized who you were and they followed in obedience. And so, Lord, I ask that we would be able to confidently say, who is Jesus? Not out of just intellect, but because we've experienced you, because we know you intimately and deeply. And our worship reflects that. So this week as we prepare for Easter, Lord, I ask that you would um, that you would be more real than you've ever been to us. And that we would have um, just an awareness of you at our work. We'd have awareness of you as we're interacting with our families and friends. That we would see you clearer than we ever have. And that we would worship in those moments. That we would be aware and then obey. And that when Sunday comes around, it's just a continuation of what we've done all week. So Lord, draw us to you. Give us a revelation of your glory, of how much you love us. And may we return worship that pleases you.